So we're in John chapter 12, and we are looking, we're about midway through um, chapter 12. And so in this part of John chapter 12, we get to see that um, Jesus is being sought out. And, you know, and it's one thing to say, okay, well, he's always sought out, right? Jesus is, people are always looking for him, whether it's in a good way or a bad way, right? We've got people that are looking to follow him. We have Jews that want to follow him. We have Gentiles that want to follow him. We have the Jews who want to find him and arrest him. We have the Romans who are getting concerned because things are getting stirred up. Um, Things are happening in the ministry of Jesus. And so people are seeking him out. And what we're going to get to see today is that Jesus is about to change the method of his ministry. He's about to change things up in a very drastic way. Because up until this point, people have been looking at Jesus, seeing the things that he's been doing. They've been talking about it, talking either either when he's there and witnessing the things, the, the miraculous things that he's been doing, or they are witnessing about Jesus when he's gone and moved on because they are just still in awe over the things that he has done. And so today, as we start in chapter 12, specifically verse 12, we're going to get to see this shift in Jesus' ministry because, because up until this point, many times Jesus has done amazing works, and then he tells the people that he did them for, he goes, don't say anything. Like, you, were, you couldn't walk, but I just healed you. You couldn't walk since birth, but I just healed you. But don't go tell anybody that I did. You've been blind forever, so I'm going to open your eyes so that now you can see but shh, don't tell anybody. How do you hide that sort of thing, right? Like if I've been blind since birth, and I'm like in my 30s, and then Jesus spits in the mud and he heals my eyeballs, and now I can see, how do I hide that? Like do I just walk around town and I'm still like, hey, is that you, Michelle? You know, like I can see you. I picked on you, Michelle. You can't hide the miraculous things that Jesus did. He made a guy get up and walk. Like, the dude was begging for years and years and years. He was lame. There's a guy whose hand, it's all withered up. Again, I was watching The Chosen this week. If you haven't watched The Chosen, watch The Chosen. But this guy's hand, it's all withered up. And and he goes and he opens this guy's hand up. And then the idea is, is like, well, okay, I know there was people here who saw that, but y'all just keep it on the down low. Like, that's how Jesus has been operating up until this point. But he knows you can't hide these things. I've been doing amazing, miraculous works. And the people that that Jesus has been healing, they're getting questioned even. The Jewish leaders are going up to him and they've got questions. Lots and lots of questions. Now, though, we get to the point where everything is about to shift. And so we're going to look at these verses 12 through 36 together. So start there at at, at verse 12, if you would, with me. We're going to read. It says, The next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast, which is Passover, by the way, the next day, the large crowd that had come to the feast that heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, so they took branches of palm trees. They went out to meet him, crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. And Jesus found a young donkey, and he sat on it, just as it is written, Fear not, 
daughter of Zion, behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. His disciples did not understand these things at first, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that things, these things had been written about him and had been done to him. The crowd that had been with him when he had called Lazarus out of the tomb and raised him up from the dead continued to bear witness. The reason why the crowd went to meet him was that they had heard he had done this sign. So the Pharisees said to one another, You see that you are gaining nothing. Look, the world has gone after him. Now among those who went up to worship at the feast were some Greeks, so that, uh, so that these come to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and, and asked him, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and they told Jesus, and Jesus answers them. The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life and loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. Now, is my soul troubled? And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this purpose... I have come to this hour. Father, glorify your name. Then a voice from heaven, uh, then, then came a voice from heaven, I have glorified it, and I will glorify it again. The crowd that stood there and heard this, they, they, uh, they said that it had thundered. Others said that, it had, uh, uh, others said that an angel had spoken to him. Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake and not mine. Now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out, and I, when I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all people to myself. He said this to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So the crowd answered him, We have heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said to them, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in the darkness does not know where he is going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you may become sons of light. Now there's a few things in there. One, I'm assuming you all thought that when I got to where it said, Behold, I was going to yell at you. Because that's what I've been doing up to this point. But I knew you'd expect it, which is why I didn't do it. <clears throat> but here's the thing. We're in Passover week. That's where this thing starts off. The next day, the large crowd, they came to the feast. They heard that Jesus was coming. This is Passover week. It says, starts off specifically, it says the next day, and that is Sunday. So much like here we are, we're on a Sunday. That means that, that right now we are starting only days until when Jesus is going to die. We're going to continue, as we go through John, to speak more about his death, which, like I said, is only going to be a week away. For us, it's going to be a few weeks away. <laughs> Any of you who have ever studied with me, you know it's going to take just a little bit of time to get there. But it's important that we go through these facts, that, the, that we go through these things so that we can understand. We talked about this back at, at Easter time, and, and you may recall that, 
that when you came into the church that day on, on Easter Sunday, that, that we had palm branches laid out all up and down the aisle. There was palms that were scattered, and, and, and uh, Gerardo even made us some, some palm crosses, and I think Amanda made some in her Sunday school class with the kids. That was only just a small snippet, just, a, just an idea of what it was like when Jesus came. Because it says that they took branches of palm trees. They went out to him, and they were crying out. And this is where it gets loud. It's, Hosanna, right? Blessed is he who comes to them. Because like they're screaming at the top of their lungs. Jesus, you are here. Blessed are you. And we did this at Easter time. If you remember, I, made, I put it up there on the screen, and we all just cried out as loud as we could. And it was awesome with only the few that we had, right? We don't have thousands of people in here. Lord knows we would love to have that. Invite your friends. But, but we only have, we've got a, just a minuscule amount of people compared to who was gathered there at the time of Jesus who was screaming this out. It would have been like a stadium in the middle of a rock concert. People hollering out in unison, Hosanna, Hosanna. It was crazy. And there's Jesus coming in, riding on a donkey, on the colt of a, of, of a donkey. And, and these branches that they put out, they were significant in Jewish history. It wasn't just that they simply said, hey, look, here comes this guy named Jesus. Quick, grab a branch. Like, it wasn't just something that they just willy-nilly did. There was meaning behind it. It was a symbol of victory. When they would take these palm branches, they would stick them down on the ground. It was a symbol of victory. It represented when they... At one time, the Maccabees, they showed up and they, they won some victory in a war that they fought. Other times where they had small victories, they would celebrate and have these palm branches and they would lay them down. And the expectation here was that Jesus was about to come and he was about to take down the Roman Empire that these Romans who were there keeping them suppressed, that these Romans who were, who were there squashing them down, that Jesus was about to come and he was about to show them who was boss. And so they laid down these palm branches in his, in his arrival because they knew, they knew deep in their hearts, they said, this is the guy, the guy that just rose Lazarus from the grave, he's about to come and he's going to bring a whooping with him and we're going to lay this down because we already know that the victory is going to be ours. You don't raise somebody from the dead without the expectation that surely he can take out the Roman government. That's what they thought. That was their expectation. But we know, having the grander picture, that's not at all what happened. We know Jesus came for a very different purpose, didn't he? We know that Jesus came not to just simply squash the Romans and put an end to this tyranny that they had. Their expectation was, was off base. They knew that Jesus was going to come. They said, there's one who is coming, the Messiah. He's going to come and he's going to save us from this persecution. And we get what they are yelling out where, they're, where they are there and they're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna, right? Uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the King of Israel. They are yelling this out, and that comes from Psalm 118. Remember, these people knew their Bible. Well, what, what would be called their Bible? They knew the Old Testament. They studied it. They knew the first five books by heart. There were things about what they, what they were reading that they were seeing represented in the ministry of Christ. And they had this great 
expectation. And then the rest of what you see in verse 15, Fear not, daughter of Zion. Behold, your king is coming, sitting on a donkey's colt. That comes from Zechariah chapter 9. They were witnessing the Old Testament prophecies coming to life. And it was an exciting time for them. You think I get excited sometimes when I'm up here. Like, they were excited because they just knew all of this tyranny is about to come to an end. They're throwing down the palm branches. They're just yelling out. Yeah, it's just craziness. And then Jesus is just like, hey, I'm here for love and peace. And all the rest of the week, they're like, huh? What happened? We, we thought you were coming in here to, to just take over. But we're going to get there. We're going to talk about those things. But today, they are excited. They are pumped. Granted, for the wrong reasons. Clearly, in verse 16, we get to see that his disciples, it says clearly, they didn't understand. They didn't get it. They're seeing the things that are going on. They're seeing how the people are reacting. They've been walking with Jesus up to this point, and they're going one plus one's not equaling two today. Something's amiss. And it said that they didn't understand it. They weren't on the same page. They were watching, they were listening, but they couldn't put it all together. It says they didn't understand these things at first. It says, but when Jesus was glorified, then they remembered that these things had been written about him and that they had been done to him. Understand that that verse 16, it's a reflective thought. This is a vision of the future looking into the past. They were seeing things unfold before them that they weren't going to recognize until after the death of Christ, until after he was buried, until after he rose from the dead. Until then, they didn't get it. They didn't understand. They couldn't see the full picture. The key words spoken there in 16 are when Jesus was glorified. And then also, then they remembered. You don't remember something if it's happening in front of you, do you? That's present sense. But after the fact, you remember about it, don't you? So they... They are seeing things unfold. They know that these things have been written about him back in the Old Testament. They are putting two and two together. And they are going to see and then recognize much later what things look like. It says that this crowd that had gathered, they really didn't know what was going on either. They, they were just simply coming together because he had just raised somebody from the dead. Many of them, it says, were, were there already because they continued to bear witness about him bringing Lazarus back after being in the tomb for four days. It says the reason that the crowd went to meet him was just simply because he had done this one sign alone. It wasn't because of all the other miraculous things that he had done. They seen him do this thing, and that was the thing that convinced them. But then the Pharisees jump in there in verse 19, and they say, you see... You're gaining nothing. You're gaining nothing, they said. Look, the world has gone after him. They certainly don't get it. If the, if, the, if the disciples who are walking with Jesus don't get it, the Pharisees here certainly are not going to get it. You see, if you look at, in, in verse 19, where we're talking about this, and, and we're, we're seeing how the Pharisees are reacting 
if you were to jump back to chapter 11, specifically there at verse 49 in chapter 11, it says this, But one of them, Caiaphas, who was high priest that year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor do you understand that it is better for you that one man should die for the people, not that the whole nation should perish. It says he didn't say this of his own accord, but being the high priest that year, he had prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for the nation only, but also to gather into one, who? The children of God who were scattered abroad. Jesus had a very specific mission, a very specific task. Here, in verse 19, the, the Pharisees aren't really worried about Jesus. They're not even worried about the people who are looking at Jesus. They see him just as a fleeting thought. The problem is, is that Jesus is stirring up the Romans. And they're scared to death of them. They bow down to the Romans. Well, they talk a big game, but in essence, they continue to work with the Roman people instead of standing up against the tyranny they were working alongside them. They were, they were, you know, kneeling down before the Romans. Something that they shouldn't have done. When Daniel and his friends were asked once, his three, his three, three friends, I'll get it out in a second, uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they were asked to, to kneel down in front of this giant statue and they said, when, this, when you hear this sound, when you hear this trumpet roar, we want everyone here to bow down. All of you, all of you slaves are going to worship the king. And so when that trumpet sounded, when that horn blew, everybody went down to their knees to worship this false idol, this false god, except for these three friends of Daniel. You know what they did? They stood up. They refused to move. They said, we're not going to worship a false idol. We believe in the Lord God. He is one, and He's the only one worthy of our time, of our efforts, of our, of our worship. He's the only one that, that is going to be glorified in my life. I will not surrender who I am and kneel down before this other false idol. And because of that, they were rounded up and they were thrown into a furnace. You may have heard the story. They were thrown inside that furnace. And it didn't matter. They knew that's what was going to happen. They knew that death was imminent. They knew that this was going to be the end. And yet somehow, miraculously, it says this fourth person shows up inside the flames so that everyone recognized him as, as the Christ, as the one that was promised, as the one to come. And those three men walked out of the flames, and it says their clothes didn't even smell of smoke. They weren't burnt. They weren't singed. They weren't anything. And yet that flame was hot enough that the people who threw those three men into the fire, they burnt up. That's how hot it was. That those men just got close. The guards, they got close as they threw the men in and they died because of the heat. Just this week, I burnt a huge pile of wood because we tore our deck down. And I piled up this great big, Matt, Doug, you don't want to listen to this part. Um, big, massive pile of wood, and I lit that puppy on fire, and boy, I was awful proud, because that flame was way up there, and let me just tell you, it was hot, that I had to stand around sort of the side of my shed so that I could get some relief, because like, I was pretty sure I was singeing everything I had, and it, it was crazy, I had the hose, I did have the hose with me, Doug, so I was spraying stuff down just so it wouldn't get too overly hot, 
I can't imagine what this fire must have been that they were just simply close to it and it killed them. And these men went into the fire and they were saved by Christ Jesus and then they just walked out and there wasn't even, wasn't even a sign of them ever being near it. That's faith. That's faith that says, I trust in my Lord and I will not surrender who I am for anyone. Meaning, even if it means my, my own death, I won't surrender. I won't give up who I am. I will not reduce myself to anything less than the Lord God because that is who is in charge of my life. That's faith. That's what that is. We don't get to see that kind of faith often. These Jewish leaders, these Pharisees, scribes, the Sadducees, Sanhedrin, None of them had that kind of faith, and yet they always boldly talked about these type of people. Look at the faith of Daniel. Look at the faith of, of, of Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego. Look at the faith of Noah. Look at the faith of Abraham. Look at the faith. They're talking about all these men of faith, yet they had no faith. None. They weren't willing to stand up. They weren't willing to sacrifice themselves. But you know who was? Jesus. He was willing to sacrifice himself, and he did. He came and he shed his blood for every single one of us so that not only we could be forgiven, those of us who are choosing to follow him, but he said, I'm going to shed my blood even for the Romans, the people who are, who are persecuting us. I'm going to die for them too because all they have to do is profess faith in me and they too can be saved. Jesus came, it says, so that he could gather unto himself everyone, everyone, even all those who were abroad. He wants to bring underneath him all people. And so these Jewish leaders, as they are going, they're going, look, you see, you're not doing anything. Look, the world's going after him. They're stirring up the pot. We can't, we, we're not going to be able to break through this thing. They're scared to death of what might happen if we just simply submit ourselves before the Lord. Isn't that sad? What would you think of me as your pastor if I just simply tuck tail every time somebody came at us and said, we don't like how you're preaching. Instead, I want you to just preach a, a gospel that says just, just love everyone. Accept everything. We don't care. Would you want me to just accept anything this world throws at me and say, hey church, you know what? they want me to tell you that doing this thing is okay. So therefore it is. That's not right, is it? You want a pastor that's going to stand up for you, don't you? You want a pastor that's going to say, look, this is what's right, this is what's wrong. You stand in faith. We abide by what the good book says, by what Jesus Christ has told us, by what the good Lord has given for those to write in this book. You want us to stand on the firm foundation, don't you? Then you all have to stand with me too. Because I can't do it all on my own. Right? We have to stand together as brothers and sisters, don't we? There's nothing special about me. I'm just a guy. You're just a guy that's up here trying to preach truth, who's trying to bring truth. We have to do this thing together. How? As the body of Christ. Amen? That is what we were supposed to do. We have to lean on one another. We've got to go and do visits together. We have to give together. We have to serve together. We've got to do all of this stuff together because I can't do it all. I just can't. I'm not up here complaining, by the way. I don't want you all to take it that way. If it sounds that way, let's back it up. What I'm saying is, is this isn't a task for one person. 
Jesus can do that. You know why? Because his shoulders are that big. Mine aren't. That's the reason he said we need people who can do this and do that and do the other. And together, everything works together. Some are the hands, some are the feet, some are the legs, some are the eyes, some are the ears. Everything has to work together. None of us have the same jobs or tasks. We come together as the body of Christ, right? And we do it together. And together we will further the mission and ministry of Jesus Christ so that others can come to know who he is and that we can charge people up and we can be excited and we can be passionate because that's what Jesus was. None of us have what Jesus has. Not alone. But together we can do this. Together we can, we can accomplish much And these people thought they were coming together that way, except that their minds weren't set in the right place, was it? They just simply wanted an end to the tyranny, not to the saving grace that was coming and being offered. They didn't necessarily want to hear the truth, they just wanted their truth, which is what the world today oftentimes screams and yells. Don't pay attention to to what's happening over here, right? They always say, don't mind that. Don't look at the man behind the curtain. Watch what's happening here. Pay attention to this thing. I want to divert your attention. I want you to focus in on this one thing, this one, this one item, this one thought, this one agenda. We want you to focus in. Don't, no, 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 don't look over there. That's not important. Just watch right here. It's, just very carefully. Slide a hand. Follow the ball, people. Follow the ball. That's what the world wants you to do. Jesus says, no, 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 no. Not only do I want you to look at the guy behind the curtain, but I want you to go over and I want you to tell him that he's a sinner. And I want you to tell him that he's not living right. And I want you to share with him what my word says so that he can get saved. Don't pay attention to the the tricks, the things that the world's going to throw at you because they are going to do that. There's all sorts of shiny objects that distract us. Tons of them. And I'm guilty of it. I watch too much TV. I do too much Facebook. I play too many games on my phone. There's tons of stuff. I'm not immune. I'm no different than anyone in here. I'm certainly no different than than Philip and Andrew. I don't know if you all found any comedy in, in the way that this played out, but it tells us there in verse 20, it says, among those who went up to worship at the feast were these Greeks, right? These people who were sort of outside the circle, because really, you know, when we, when we ultimately talk about this, the Jewish people are like, well, this is all just for the Jews. This is all only for the Jews. If you're, if you're not a Jew, then you're excluded. And yet here comes these Jews, and, and they came to Philip, and they said, hey, we're here to see Jesus. And Philip goes, hang tight right here. And then he goes, and he tells Andrew. And then Andrew and Philip, then they both, and they go tell Jesus. Like, it wasn't enough. Like, they couldn't just simply say, oh, you're here to see Jesus? Well, let me just let you in. Why didn't they just do it? They've been walking with Jesus this whole time. They've been seeing the way that he operates. They've been seeing the way that he interacts with people. And yet they're going to go and they're going to say, hey, Jesus, there's these people here, but they're a little bit different. They're a little odd. They don't, they're not like us, but they're here and they want to see you. What happens if somebody walks through this door? What if somebody walks through this door that's different than the rest of us? What if they're covered in tattoos, head to toe? What if they're gay? What if they're an adulterer? 
What if they've murdered somebody before? What if they've committed any sort or any number of sins? Are they worthy of walking through those doors? It's not a rhetorical question. I'm actually asking. Are they worthy of walking through the doors, church? Who else should we be inviting here but the sinners that are out there, right? Because I've been a sinner, and somebody invited me to walk through their church doors. And sure, I've not killed anybody, but you know what? I'm still a sinner all the same, and God says one's just as bad as the other. I was invited to walk through church doors. Most of you were probably at some point invited to walk through church doors. And praise God, we accepted We need to be ready and prepared for when someone who's different than us walks through those doors. And we should have our arms open just as wide as Jesus did when he was on that cross and say, welcome, brother. We're glad you're here. And we look past whatever it is that their past may hold because we all carry a past, don't we? We've got to be open to receive. We have to be open to the idea that we're not perfect, nor will we ever be until the day that the Lord calls us home and he says, you belong. You belong here with me. When he says, good job, well done, good and faithful servant, those are the words that I long to hear. Hopefully they're the ones you long to hear as well. Jesus then lays out this idea for them. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and it dies, it remains alone. But, it, but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loses his life, um, uh, whoever loves his life and loses it, and, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. And if anyone serves me, he must follow me. Where I am, there will my servant be also. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. I'm not a farmer. I don't pretend to be. I can't grow anything at the house. Nothing. And I did not know that a seed has to die in order for it to grow. Am I alone here today in that thought? (laughs) I must be. I don't see anybody raising their hands. (laughs) I had to look into this and study it years ago because I was like, I was like, I don't, why do we, what? I plant a seed so it can grow. What are you talking about? It's dying. But that's the truth. See, that seed, when you plant it into the ground, it has to die so that the life inside it can blossom. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing if you, if you take that and you apply it to the life of Christ? What happened for Jesus? He came fully man. He was mortal. He was human. Just like me and you. He would bleed if you cut him. Fully man. Now, we understand, those of us who understand the story, we understand these things, we know that he's also fully God. Not, but, but we're dealing with the humanity of Jesus. And when he talks about this idea of the seed, about how it dies, we understand that he had to die so that this life inside him could come out. Right? That, that there was one who he said, there's one that's, that you all are waiting for, there's one that you all need, and that one can't come until I go. In John 16, that we'll get to eventually, 
He says, I'll tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. That's the Holy Spirit. We needed the Holy Spirit to come. I've got to thinking about this idea of this, of this seed, and what Jesus says is, is if the seed doesn't die, it remains alone. So when you look at this and you really give it the thought that it needs, the seed that dies is the Christian. The seed that dies is, is the Christian that, who gave their life to follow someone greater. And because they died, because they gave up their own self to follow Jesus Christ, they then received this new life. But if you don't give up your life, it says you'll remain alone. That's the non-believers. That's the people that, that don't profess faith in Jesus Christ. That's the people that, that are walking around this world with no hope. But Jesus came for all people. So in Romans chapter 5... Verse 8, it says, But God showed his love for this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. And in verse 10 there, it says, For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And more than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through through whom we have now received reconciliation so jesus then turns what he's talking and he says now is my soul troubled and what shall i say father save me from this hour but for this purpose i have come to this hour and then he says father glorify your name he says glorify your name jesus says the purpose that he has come is for this particular moment where he was where he came into this triumphal entry where people were throwing down the palm leaves and he's arriving this is the reason that he came this is the moment for which he came this hour was needed everybody just simply thinks well jesus just came and he died on the cross and da, da, da. no there was this purpose he needed for people to see him for who he truly was god speaks audibly at this point to Jesus. It says then this voice came from heaven and it says I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. But it says that the crowd they stood there they didn't understand. Some of them said it was just simply thunder and then other ones said no wait it was an angel that has spoken. We get to see that there's this is one of three times that Jesus gets to hear audibly the voice of the Father. Matthew 3 when Jesus is baptized in Matthew 17, when, the, when Jesus is transfigurated, when he goes through, or it's called the transfiguration of Jesus. And here in John chapter 12, we get to hear and see this audible voice of the Lord, Father of heaven. The non-believers say it's just thunder. The believers say, no, wait, it's an angel. The believers hear and recognize the voice of the Father. The non-believers don't. And we talked about this earlier in the book of John where it says that the believers, the ones who follow Christ, who's the shepherd, says they recognize his voice. When he speaks, they hear him and they recognize his voice. And it says that they follow him. 
So here we get to see that the Lord is speaking and there's some that can hear it. And then there's other ones who simply said, no, 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 that's not. No, it was, it was just thunder. It was just thunder. It's a beautiful, clear day. But it's just thunder that's happening. And these are the people who don't belong, who, who are separated from God and they can't hear the shepherd's voice. Nor do they know that they need to follow it. So there's just a couple of points I want to I bring out for us. Recognize that the voice of the Lord is God. That as sons of light, we can recognize the voice of the Lord as God. That when we hear Him speak, we will recognize it. We will know that it is Him speaking to us. Jesus answers, He says, This voice has come for your sake and not mine. He says, now is the judgment of the world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. Do you know who we're talking about? We're talking about Satan. We're talking about Satan that Jesus is getting ready to tell you he's going to be defeated. He's going to be cast out. This thing is about to come to an end. There is going to be judgment had. And that judgment's going to be hard and strong and swift. And he's talking about Satan. He says, and when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. He means just that, all people. He doesn't just mean some. He means all people who believe in him, all people of every race, ethnicity, ethnicity, everything. He's going to bring all people to him so that anyone who's followed him, who professes faith in him, Jews and Gentiles alike, can receive grace. It says he showed this by... Uh, what kind, he, he said this so that he could show what kind of death he was going to die. And remember, this was like where Jesus was explaining, like the seed. He has to die in order for this new life to begin. If Jesus didn't die, we couldn't have that new life. Without Christ sacrificing himself, we were destined for death, for an eternal death. But because of Jesus and what he did, we are now destined for eternal life if we profess faith in him. So, so the crowd answers him and says, you know, look, we've heard from the law that Christ remains forever. So how can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? Who is this Son of Man? And it says, you know, how is it that, that we're hearing from the law that Christ is going to remain forever? But you're telling us something different. They didn't understand what Jesus was talking about. They didn't understand the meaning of what Jesus was leading them to, nor did the disciples. This was a confusing time for many of them. But what we know is that because of the death of Jesus, eternal life became possible. Prior to that, it wasn't. And so, as sons of light, we have eternal life that can be found only in Jesus Christ. And as we come to a close here in this part of chapter 12, Jesus says to them that the light is among you just for a little while longer. So he says, walk in the light. The one who walks in darkness doesn't know where he's going. He says, while you have light, believe in the light that you may become what? Sons of light. And when Jesus had said these things, he departed and he hid himself from them. In John chapter 9, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He keeps referring back. He keeps going back to these ideas that he's already taught through. He keeps bringing back up these other things so that they can begin to let those ideas sink into their minds so that they can begin to grasp and have the process of what's about to happen reveal itself to them 
Because as we read earlier, they're not truly going to get it until after he's ascended to heaven. It's going to take them a while to process everything that's going on. He says, walk in the light. Walk in the light. Believe in the light. So that you may become sons of light. The lost are doomed to hell without Jesus. Jesus is the light of the world. Those that don't believe in Jesus are doomed. But believers become sons of light, is what it tells us. If you belong to Jesus, you are sons of light. And as sons of light, we become adopted sons and daughters. So the question then remains, do you believe? I've asked this multiple times throughout the book of John. We'll continue asking it over and over. Do you believe? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Do you believe that Jesus Christ is the light of the world? Do you believe that Jesus Christ died on that cross for your sins? Do you believe that Jesus Christ offered you salvation through grace if you follow and believe in him? Do you believe those things? If you do, profess them. Confess yourself to him. Tell him. And only you can decide that. You're the only one. It's between you and him. So we're going to sing a song called Sons and Daughters here in just a moment. <clears throat> it's, um, it's, this is a, a good song. I don't know if Sierra is planning on talking about it or not, but it really gives this, this great picture of who we are in Jesus Christ. We are sons and daughters of a living God. A God that can save us, a God that can bring us eternal life, a God that is going to call us home one day, but we have to trust in him, we have to believe in him. And the question is, is do you believe and do you belong? If you belong, no one can take that from you. But if you're not sure, make that choice today. Ask about it. Ask questions. Come forth. But don't just let it be something that you ignore. Because this is an eternal situation. Eternity is at stake. I can't stress that any more than I've already have. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray together. And then we're going to sing. Father, we thank you today for being here in our presence. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who moves in this place. We thank you that you speak to our hearts. And God, I pray that as you move, Lord, as you move, that you would help us to surrender obediently to you. That by faith, Lord, that you would call us to yourself and that we would bow at your feet. That we would humble ourselves before you and that we would cry out to you, Abba, Father. Because without you, Lord, we have no hope. Only through you, Jesus, can we be saved. Speak to us now. Guide us to you. Let us let everything else that's going on around us help us to just vision that it's just you and me here. Help us, to, help us to just see that everything else around us has just disappeared and then it's just the two of us. Help us to profess you, to just confess you in our lives and to see how much we need you and how much you desire us, that you just want to embrace us. So Lord, help us to cling to you. We thank you, Lord. Come before you now. Touch our hearts and guide us. We ask this in your strong name, Jesus, our Savior. Amen.